Welcome to the Chick Monks Podcast, where we explore the spiritual path of contemplative Christianity with a female voice and perspective. A reading from the letter of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Leave it to James to start off his letter getting right to the point. I love this book for that reason. It's so direct. It seems so clear and so obvious. It's also kind of confusing. Some of the things that he says don't necessarily line up with teachings elsewhere in Scripture. Something that I've been experiencing recently is a shift in how I relate to language. That we use these words to try to communicate ideas, but the point isn't being precise with our words, because words are just symbols. Words are open to interpretation. At the end of the day, what's really trying to be communicated is something much larger and a lot more nebulous. These spiritual realities and ideas that we encounter when we connect with someone else in thoughtful, engaged conversation are amplified when we sit down with the words of Scripture, these holy words of people who have been seeking God and are seeking to share the truth and enlightenment of knowing God with other people. This passage in James is a perfect example of words that can be misinterpreted And they can be confusing and used for a purpose that isn't the spiritual truth that they're trying to communicate. But these words from James point us to 
the journey that I believe we're all on. I'm certain we're all on. We're all on love's journey. And that might sound trite or meaningless or fluffy or spiritual or whatever, but hear me out. I believe that we are all on love's journey, and that is the truest and most important thing about us. And that's what James is talking about here. This is also the most vulnerable thing about us. Because the places where we learn to love are the places where we stop protecting ourselves. Here in this material world, everything has a beginning and an end. Here in this experience of time, love feels painful sometimes. Because here in this experience of time, we're surrounded by people who are trying to protect themselves from their own pain, their own awareness of their own end. Isn't this what James reminds us? Everything is fleeting. We're surrounded by systems and structures of an economy that promises immortality to a few at the top and a life of struggle to those at the bottom. And again, James says it's those who are at the bottom who see how all of this is fleeting. They see what really matters. So we look around us and we see these systems. We see the struggle. We see the forgetfulness. And we see pain and loss, and we start to believe that that's maybe what this whole thing is. You're not here to struggle. You're here to love and be loved. Only when you rest in that place within yourself will your short time in this material reality be satisfying. But it is. It is so satisfying. Because when everything is pointing you back to love, There is no lack. Think about it. Stay with me. The moment you perceive lack in your life, if you believe yourself to be loved, you will inherently ask for help because part of loving and being loved is trusting. If anyone finds herself lacking in wisdom, she should ask. You see, when I know myself to be a product of love, to be made of love, and to be a vessel of love, then I can ask for anything I need and trust that I will have it. Not asking with doubt, but asking with absolute faith and trust that I'm taken care of and that I belong. In this material reality, we've separated ourselves from our awareness of the spiritual and energetic realities that we are always engaged in. And that separation makes us vulnerable, which the irony, of course, is that we're attempting to overcome our vulnerability by separating ourselves from that. And that's an irony I'm going to explore a little bit more in a minute. But we do this because it seems like we're out of control. And so if we make our world smaller and just about ourselves, then it feels a little bit like we have control. It seems like it's a game of survival of the fittest. And if I don't participate in the climb to the top, I'm going to be trampled. But the truer thing about this human experience is that we are always interacting with larger realities. We are always choosing an energetic allegiance. And what you reap is what you sow. This is where Jesus is teaching to store up for yourselves treasures in the kingdom of heaven, invites us to consider where our treasures are stored. 
James reminds us of the same thing here. Greed begets greed. Fear begets fear. Isolation begets isolation. And love begets love. We are not out of control of our experiences. You are not simply playing the hand you were dealt. But you do perpetuate the status quo every time you absentmindedly go through the motions of life. So what do we do instead? How do we not live life as a double-minded person, unstable in all our ways? Well, the opportunity is to notice, to pay attention, to wake up. Ask yourself, why? Why am I doing or believing or wanting this thing? What do I believe that I'll get from it? In my mind, where does this take me? This will show you where your allegiance lies. This will show you what you value. And this will also show you what you fear. For example, if you fear being poor, you believe in scarcity and you'll react to the poor around you as those to be pitied or feared. You'll avoid that suffering. Similarly, if you fear sadness and grief, you believe that you're suffering and you will flee from the pain that you see in yourself and in others. So you see how it works. When we avoid that which we fear, we build up systems to protect ourselves from it. And pretty soon, we can convince ourselves it isn't even real. But it is real. Pain is real. Discomfort is real. But it's our choice whether we will see in it the opportunity to adjust or whether we will just avoid it altogether. Our culture is afraid of our own mortality, and we have built systems and structures and an economy around the myth that we could live forever in this physical reality. But when we're not afraid of our own mortality, we don't have to fear our pain. When discomfort becomes the path to growth, we embrace the finite reality of this life because we see that the resistance is what strengthens the new thing being birthed. Like a moth who has to push her way out of her cocoon, strengthening her wings to become something new and more powerful and more beautiful than she was before. It's the same with us. When pain is feedback, we learn on a deeper reality what it is to be human. We're constantly adjusting our internal experience to reflect what we want. So let me ask you this. What is it you want? Like really, what do you want the most in this life? It may break your heart even to admit it. And that's okay. You might have stifled off your desire so much that you can't even come up with an answer because it's so painful to consider wanting. But try. Name what it is that you want the most. Pause this if you need to. And then consider underneath that, what is it you want about it? How do you think that thing will make you feel? What would it be like to have that life or to have that experience? What do you think it will bring you? 
satisfaction, peace, joy, love. Underneath every desire in your heart is a sincere longing for love. Belonging, acceptance, meaning, love. Underneath all of it is a longing to remember what we see that animals and babies often haven't even forgotten yet, and that's why we love them so much. And that is that we are here as an experience of love. Love is the common bond between all things, between all beings. It's the way we are affected by one another. It makes us vulnerable to hurt one another. It makes us vulnerable to hurt when we see the pain of another or when the earth itself suffers for our selfish conveniences. Love doesn't just make us vulnerable. Love also makes us more powerful than we could ever be on our own. Love makes us one. It makes us one unit like a beehive full of individual bees playing their part but really making up one organism. Love is the choice to be affected by someone else. Love is the posture that your burden is my burden. And until you believe that you're included in this great love, that there is someone who shares your burden, that your suffering impacts the entirety of the whole, until you believe that, you have very little of your own to give. And so, if you believe that there is a scarcity of love for yourself, you'll protect it, you'll hoard it, You'll do everything you can to keep it safe. You'll harden your edges and you'll slowly separate yourself from anyone else's experience because if you can deal with your own stuff, they should deal with theirs. This is the myth of individualism. This is the myth of our culture. Separation, isolation, individuation. But there, it's very difficult to listen to your own suffering. It's very difficult to have the drive to listen to your own pain. Until you listen to your own suffering, to the voice of your own longing for love, because that's really all it is, until you're there, the suffering of others will be unbearable to you. You'll label and categorize and maybe pass it off to the government to deal with. You'll be pro-institutionalization of those who are suffering the most because you don't want to deal with the shared collective responsibility of love. Until you know your own longing for love, until you've embraced that longing as the most human thing about you, until you don't fear or hate that part of yourself, and until you've offered yourself forgiveness for wanting love, and for trying to deal with your longing in a material reality where everyone around you is doing their best to forget their own longing. Until you give yourself compassion, grace, forgiveness, love, you'll continue on in fear. Fear of yourself, fear of the other, fear of the world. For so long, I believed that because Jesus was the one to offer me this forgiveness, it didn't matter if I offered it to myself. But it's important. 
It's important that you participate in your own self-love. It's important that you forgive your longing, that you forgive the perceived weakness in yourself. Because that's the place that opens you up to connection with one another and with God. And as long as you are resisting that part of yourself, you're sheltering yourself from love. This is what fear does. Fear divides. Fear finds an enemy. Fear insulates and protects itself. But there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. This isn't to say that you should hate your fear either, but rather embrace it as a part of this existence, as a part of the experience of love. Everything belongs, and all is love. The resistance, the fear, the forgetting, it all propels us back to love. To fight for love in our own lives and in our world reminds us that there's something better. It reminds us to choose grace, compassion, forgiveness, and love for ourselves and for others over and over and over again. We can't fall asleep on love. We don't need to fear that which separates us from love because it's only fear that does that. Do you see it? We don't have to play fear's games. We can see that it belongs. We can have compassion and we can lift our eyes to the greater story that it's a part of. And when we see that even fear is a part of remembering love, even darkness has a place in light, even pain, even discomfort, when we see that it belongs, then love is all there is. That which binds all together is all there is. And you are a part of it. It takes great faith to remember this. That's why we fill our lives with love and with reminders. We draw on one another. We draw one another out of the illusion of fear and back into the clear vision of love. And in doing so, we remind ourselves of who we are and what we're meant for. May you be brave, be kind, be compassionate, and may you forgive yourself. Forgive one another. Forgive the world. May you be transformed by forgiveness and be agents of grace, compassion, and love in a world that desperately needs it. Because love is all there is. <laughs>